This week, we welcome interior designer Bria Hamill to the podcast. Bria Hamill is the CEO and creative director of Bria Hamill Interiors and home decor brand, Brook & Lou. Bria's passion for beautiful, life-friendly design and products has earned her features in national publications, such as Traditional Home and HGTV Magazine. Partnership and licensing opportunities with major brands like Thermador, Cambria, and A2 Home. And Brook & Lou recently being named one of the best home stores in America for 2022 by House Beautiful. Gail talks with Bria about how she has grown her business in the last 10 years, including her expansion to retail. Learn about her vision and the importance of who you hire, how to leverage a social media presence, and much more on today's episode. Well, I am so excited to have you, Bria. And we have had you in our programs starting back in 2015, which it seems like, wow, I can't believe that's been seven years ago. I know. I just remember so well that you were pregnant. We (laughs) met at market. We had an event at market. And Mm -hmm. at that time, you were working Mm part-time. And you had a couple of part-time employees. And you were just at a very new place in your business. So I think back to that time and where you are now, and I'm just in awe of what you've accomplished. And I just would love to hear when you first came to us then, what was it that brought you to us? Why did you reach out? Yeah. So I think the biggest thing was that I have always been a person that wants to grow organically and not push. Um, you know, people always ask like, what's your end goal? What, like, where, where do you feel like you'll be when you're like, I've made it. And I don't know that that exists for me. I just know that when I do things, I like to do it right. Um, so when I started the company, I thought I wanted to have a flexible schedule. I wanted to be my own boss. I wanted to be able to work as little or as much as I I like. Um, And so that's kind of what drove me away from the, I used to work at Ethan Allen and Thomasville. So I was kind of in retail design and um, managing those stores. And it was a lot of working every weekend, working on holidays. And I just knew I wanted something different. So um, when I started the business, I kind of just decided one day that I was going to... um, go out on my own and try it out. And I was lucky enough that I had a lot of really great clients in the beginning who referred me and it kind of just started quickly snowballing into becoming a legit business. So I hired some people. And I think when I reached out to you guys, I was in a place where I knew that I had potential to do more. um, But I also um, didn't want to do it the wrong way. And I had actually gone before that market that I met you at, I was at the market previously and had listened to Lisa Khan speak along with some other ladies. Um, and they kept, they were on a panel. We were not there, but they kept talking about you. They kept talking about their business coach and this wonderful woman who was helping them um, kind of navigate through growing their businesses and doing it right and making sure that you're getting paid what you're worth and um, doing it, you know, having all the legal documents and all of those. And it was kind of, it was very, a very eye-opening panel for me because one, I was like, well, I don't have legal documents and two, I don't have a business coach. And three, I feel like I am doing a lot of what these ladies are doing, except I'm missing some big, big pieces or components of the business. So it was a, it was an aha moment for me. So I wrote your name down. I came back from market. I started researching you and, um, (laughs) and I think I had even filled out the contact form, but I was like, I need to know who this person is before I hire someone, because I feel like it's a really personal relationship when you hire a business coach. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to make sure we jived well. And so I remember sitting up on that stage because you you hosted the tables were up on the stage of the theater at High Point Market. And just I kind of just like wanted to feel your vibe. <laughs> and it clearly it worked because I signed up right afterwards. So um, it was important for me, though, that not only just what you were saying, but just that I felt like you were someone I could trust and that I could um, connect with and that you would understand kind of who I am and my personality, because I really like people that can be direct with me and give me strong direction, but also not be so harsh that it makes you want to run away. You know, so I thought you kind of checked all those boxes for me. 
Well, I'm glad to hear that. (laughs) I've only made half of the people cry. Yeah. Well, if we're crying because it's for our own reasons, that's different than you making us cry. (laughs) I like that. That's so funny. Well, I just, I think back to that time and, um, and I think of where you are now, because obviously you have your own brand with uh, Broken Lou, which is just so cute. Love the name, and uh, and that is of course named after your children, who are yep. just adorable. Part of your <laughs> marketing campaigns, so yep. it's all fun to watch. Um, so, tell us a little bit about what your business looks like now. Sure, or what your empire looks like since. Yeah, well, I don't know about an empire, but <laughs> it's definitely more than it was when I first met you. Um, so, the design business, we are now working nationwide. We, I would say, we're probably sixty percent out of state. locally. I think that is driven by a couple of things. We were lucky enough to jump into Instagram when it was kind of just starting to become a thing for businesses. Um, And so we were able to grow a a decent following. And I think that our followers have really stuck with us. And I would say 95% of our clients have been following us on social media for a while before they hire us. So that's been a huge marketing stream for us. Um, And so our design business now, we are attracting a lot of clients through social media and showing the ease of it's not that much harder for us to do work out of state versus in state. And then the other part of it is I think people always see our work and they're like, you're from Minnesota. You know, like they don't understand our style and how it relates to the Midwest. And um, maybe that's because I was born in Texas and I only lived there for seven years, but I swear those Texas roots go quick and they grow in you and you kind of can't take them out. So I love um, Southern design and I'm, I traveled a lot to the South with my mom when I was growing up and she's very into Southern design. So I think that it was just kind of put in me to have that style. And luckily, you know, there's enough people in Minnesota that appreciate it too, but then we certainly attract those clients from across the country who want that, that look. And it's interesting because we're doing it a lot in California. We have um, a play, a project in Oregon, just some interesting states that might not necessarily think of our aesthetic in those, those locations. But that's why we're booking those clients is because they um, really want to infuse that, that style into their home and they might not be able to find a designer locally that can do it. So um, design business wise, we are probably, I think, gosh, I think we're at like 10 or 12 employees. We we mix our employees, our team, a lot of our team works on both businesses. So it's always hard for me to say how many is on one team versus the other. Um, but we launched Brook and Lou, which is our retail business. We started off exclusively e-commerce and now we have a store as well. And we just launched wholesale actually on fair.com. Um, so we started that, we just celebrated our four year anniversary and um, now we are a multi-million dollar business and um, growing every day. And it's been quite a crazy business to basically start as a baby when COVID hit. <laughs> so trials and tribulations for sure. It's not everything's all perfect, but um, it is a very exciting place to be. I love a challenge. I love problem solving and figuring out better ways to do things. And so I think that Brooke and Lou has really been able to give me that opportunity to kind of fill holes and experiment with product and, you know, just try and um, reach more people than what we can with the design business. Yeah. Well, and that has, I think one of the things I would point to is that you were so clear about what you wanted to accomplish and you are very goal driven, which is yeah. of course a big reason you're so successful. But I would say that in looking from the outside in, I can see your brand and how important your brand has been and your vision for your brand behind it. And I know you recommended your branding company that we used also, mm-hmm. which they were great to work with. And speaking of Charleston, they're from there too. <laughs> I know it's so funny. And um, now I look uh, forward and I realize that. You know, for us too, we've this is going to be our second brand that we're introducing, yep. and that's coming out in just a couple of weeks, right after market. So, um, this the people listening right now are going to actually be hearing about Pearl Collective. So I can go ahead and say that now, yeah. <laughs> all of our boardroom members know about it. Mm-hmm. But you know, thank you for that referral to the branding company because yeah. that was a big change for us, and I think. Right. 
that what I would say to anybody that has not worked with a really good branding company, you need to do that mm-hmm. because there is something that happens through that process of developing a brand that is kind of hard to describe, but it does clarify who you are, how you're presenting yourself and what you're trying to accomplish. So um, would you agree, disagree on that or? No, I 100% agree. Um, I too had went through a branding process um, prior to this group and these guys really drove home the point of making sure you have a point of view and not um, altering that. And, you know, a lot of people as designers, I hear from a lot of people, well, we're different than you because our style, like we'll do any style. We'll do what the client wants. The client really just drives the design and that's okay, but you have to have a point of view of something. So you have, because if, otherwise you're just like every other designer. Um, so that was really important for us. Now I do take the angle of, we definitely have a style. That doesn't mean that we don't do modern or we don't do super traditional formal. Um, but no matter what, when you look at our, even if I always say social media is like our Instagram's like our moving portfolio. So you can quickly scroll through Instagram and see that if you look at every individual picture, the homes can be very different in style, but there's something about what we do that kind of has um, consistency. And I always say that that is um, the livable feeling that everything feels like every room we design, you can live in, you want to use. It just is a very inviting space, whether it's modern, whether it's traditional, whether it's a neutral color palette or lots of color. Um, it's just that consistency and that's really helped drive our brand and they working with that, um, with that branding company, they really helped us kind of define what that was. And then now we know, and it's kind of our Bible that we stick to that on everything that we put out there in the world is that it needs to look like our brand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think too, and this is something to keep in mind is you have a very defined look to me. So mm-hmm. when I look at your uh, portfolio, when I look at you on Instagram, I know it's your project. Mm-hmm. And so having something that recognizable is a real shortcut because mm-hmm. then people don't have to decide if you can do their project or not. They know that they're coming to you for your look and yeah. your style, which is very clearly um, defined by all the visuals that you have out there. So, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah so, I One thing I would just say is, again, to those people that say that, you know, they kind of do everything for everyone. I would just take one step back and say, well, do you enjoy that? Because one of the reasons why we stuck to this style is that it's what we love to do. And it's what when we see our work or we see that design presentation laying out, it's like you kind of lose your breath. I want to do only projects that um, are the give us that kind of like step back where you're just so excited about it and it just feels so beautiful to you. And for me, um, that was just really important to us. So um, I decided I can't be everything to everybody. And, you know, we just kind of made that our thing. And it's hard to say no to business, especially when you have the goal of growing. And, um, you know, so I, once I, kind of took that lesson of like, I'm okay saying no, I'm okay if I'm not the right designer for every client that reaches out to us. Um, But in the end, that means that I'm doing work that I'm really passionate about and my team's really passionate about. And so it's worth it to us. Mm -hmm. That's great. Well, going from there, let's talk about the long-term vision for your business, because I know you're growing organically, but I know you have a vision too. So there's something that you have in your head about where you want to be five years, 10 years from now. So tell us about that. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say that I have, like, it's a number thing. Like I need to do this much in sales or I need to have this many employees. If anything, I've learned a lot in the last couple of years now that we just hit 10 years with BHI. And I've learned that like the numbers actually don't define you. And when you're kind of in that run of, we're growing. Everybody's giving you attention for, oh, you're such a big design firm. Like that doesn't matter to me anymore. I thought that maybe it would. And now it's not, I don't care what size it is. It's, I care more about that. We're doing the projects that really fill us up. Um, I would love in the next five to 10 years, probably 10 years because of the age of my children to have um, locations in other 
places so that I can actually get out of Minnesota in the winter <laughs> and go work somewhere else. I mean, I do get, a, I travel a lot. Um, I'm probably going to be a diamond status for Delta this year, just with all the flying that I do, but it's not the same as just living in it and having my husband with me, but my kids are still in school. So I can't, I can't leave them until they leave me. So (laughs) Um, 10 year goal though, would be to be somewhere warm in the winter and be able to be somewhere that more people would enjoy our services and, you know, not have to pay for our travel. So (laughs) there you go. I like that. Yeah. All right. Well, that'll bring its own new challenges with it. Yeah. (laughs) Let's talk a little bit about some of your greatest challenges and maybe some of your greatest opportunities that you've had over this 10-year period. Yeah. um, Let me think. Challenges-wise, I think that, you know, growth is hard. Um, I... When I started the company, I had managed people before. I was lucky that I had run a design center for big um, furniture brands. And that taught me a lot about managing people. Um, But it's different when it's your own. I I think you take it more personally. You care more. I mean, not that I didn't care about those people because I still have relationships with a lot of those people, but it's just a different type of caring. You, You just... I when I started, I took things a lot more personally if someone wanted to quit or it wasn't working out, you know, and I, it almost sets you up to feel like a failure. Um, I am the, now I feel like I kind of, we've, well, one of the things we started EOS, which I know you are a big advocate for, um, and EOS has kind of helped us build who we think are ideal employees, just like an ideal clients. And we developed our core values. And now I can hire and fire against those. And it's a lot easier to have those conversations with employees about um, how they're performing when it's based on your values of the company instead of just like work performance. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, I feel like I can train anybody to do anything. It's about innately who they are, if they have the same work ethic that I do, and if they have the same compassion for our clients that I do. Um, and so that's been a big learning curve for me of kind of developing those core values and then really sticking to it and not feeling guilty if it doesn't work because they're not checking all those core value boxes. Like it's kind of a, it's a deal breaker. You have to check every single one of those boxes or you're out. Um, so that's been a big learning curve is trying to find those people beforehand, vet them before we hire them and then how to keep them on. Um, so I would say employees has probably been the the trickiest part of growing a business like this. And then also still having that as you grow and become larger, it's important to me to have those personal relationships with them too. And that, that can be tricky just because of lack of time. Um, you know, I have a leadership team now. So a lot of my team works under the leadership team and I'm not necessarily, um, they're not reporting to me directly anymore. So how do I bond with those people? And because I truly feel like people stay for you, not the business. And, um, so I try to do different things to just be able to get to know them and for them to get to know me because I want them to feel like they're part of my family. Mm, okay. So that's a that's a big chunk. And of course, employees are probably one of the biggest challenges overall. Mm-hmm. Just finding them, finding the right people, compensating right. them correctly, motivating them, um, correcting them. One of the things I think I've learned um, so much more in this second business that I have had is that you have to have the tough conversations too. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that is my least favorite thing to do, but yep. sometimes you have to have those tough conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, has that gotten easier for you over the years? Yeah, well, again, EOS, uh, people call me an EOS nerd because I talk about it all the time. Um, but I, one of the things we do is our quarterly reviews. And it's nice because it's a scheduled time to connect one-on-one with each person on the team. and it takes some of that awkwardness out. Of course, we have more conversations than that, but every quarter, I mean, every three months, it actually comes up really quick on you when you are a busy company. So um, it's nice because it's just a check-in and most of the time, I mean, I have a really great team, so I'm really lucky, but most of the time it's more of like a touch base of like, Hey, you seem off. Like what's going on? You're not your normal bubbly self or, you know, you've kind of, one of our core values is being a yes person. And so if we have someone that all of a sudden is not saying no, but maybe being a little bit more hesitant to help out 
um, it's just one of those checkpoints like, hey, you, you know, our core values are to be yes people. And we feel like we're getting some pushback from you. What's going on? You never used to be like that. I um, have learned that if I approach hard conversations and put myself in their shoes when I'm doing it, it makes it go a lot better. Um, just because I think about how it feels to receive the information I want to share with them. And it just makes me a little softer. Sometimes I can be a very direct person. And um, that's not always a good thing when it's about interpersonal relationships. Right. And so when I try and take a step back and be like, how are they going to receive this? Maybe think about like why I think maybe they're doing some of the things that they've been doing or why I've seen a change. Um, and then trying to address like how we could help make it better. And sometimes it's just the right time where you're like, you know what? I just think that you're ready to move on, you know, and we've had, we've had a lot of those conversations. Unfortunately, in the last couple of years, I've had to let go more people than I ever thought I would have to. And it was because of the core values and because COVID is really affecting a lot of people in personal ways where they're just seeing that they need to shift. But because we have such a great work environment, sometimes it's hard for them to leave because, you know, they love being here. They love the team, but it doesn't mean that we're necessarily the right fit and we're not filling their cup anymore. Um, and so I will bring that up to them. And a lot of times I put in their court of like, hey, this doesn't feel like it's working. We love you as a person, but like the job's not getting done anymore. I don't want to have to nag at you all the time for this. Like that doesn't feel good for either of us. So, you know, like either it needs to change or let's figure it out and I can try and support you while you find something else. And that's worked. And those are the people that I still have really good relationships with um, once they leave, you know, and then I have some people that are just, you know, they are moms and they decide they want to spend time with their kids and COVID changed that for them where, you know, the timing is like, oh my gosh, this time is flying. My children are little. I'm only going to have a couple of years. And I am like, great. Call me when they go back to school, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because you were great. You were a huge asset to this team, but I'm okay. And I understand that I can't be good enough to make it worth you losing those years, you know? So um, you kind of have to take yourself, the person, the personal aspect of it out and realize that there's a lot more to this world than just the business. And if you can find the people that love it as much as you do, they normally stick around. And if they can't, you know, that's okay. You know, anytime you keep people over two years now, that's considered to be a, a fairly long period of time. I know, which is gut-wrenching to me because my learning from my father who has owned, a, he's third generation of a family business. And, um, he has employees that have worked for him for 45, 50 years. Wow. And so when I have someone, I'm like, dad, so-and-so celebrated their five-year anniversary. He's like, great, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and so, so it, but it is a different generation. He luckily he's going to have, I always tell him like, good luck when, with your next hiring round, when everyone retires on you, because you're going to have a whole different generation of people that they don't, they don't stay around as much you know it's just the younger generation they like to see the world and spread their wings which means not always staying with you for a long time <laughs> yeah it's so interesting because our, our age range is 19 to 71 yeah <laughs> so right that that is the age group of our company awesome I love that. A whole bunch of people over 60. Mm -hmm. And I keep thinking, I ask them every single time I talk to them, okay, are you still happy? Are you going to stick around? Right. What is your yeah. plan? Yeah. And honestly, I love the fact that if you do have older people on your team, they're probably going to stay with you longer because they really don't have options. Yeah. So something to think about too, is that that's actually an advantage. And um, I also love having the fresh people on the team too, having the younger group because I really get the social media and all the different mm -hmm. things. Yeah. I think that having the mix is really important. And we do span, um, we have people from their fifties to, I don't know if I have, well, between our store employees, we definitely have people there in their teens still. So, um, I think that just having that mix makes it exciting. I think both age, all the ages really appreciate each other and what they can learn from each other. And um, it just makes it a really fun atmosphere. Mm, that's great. Well, speaking of which, what do you think about your kids? Are they going to join your business in the future? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't know. So I've always been one to not like force my children to do that. My parents were really good about that. If not, you know, my mom's a doctor and my dad has a family business and neither of them 
told me that I had to do something or really even pushed me to do something that was similar to what they do. Um, with that being said, my mom's passion was always into interior design. Her dad was one that told her she had to be a doctor and that she would never make money as an interior designer. <laughs> he was a banker, so he cared a lot about that. Um, so I think that I learned to do this because of her passion, which was kind of fun. And um, I certainly have a lot of things that have come into my business because of what my dad does. And his, he's a huge mentor to me. And he was the very first person that ever introduced me to EOS. So um, he's been doing it on his business for a long time. So they don't have influence. They don't, they didn't force me, but they certainly influenced me. Um, and I hope to do the same with my children. I think that I'm seeing um, just like what they're interested in in school is definitely relatable to engineering and architecture. And my daughter is now saying that she is part owner of Brook and Lou since it is named after her and she's the first one. So <laughs> even though she's the youngest. Um, so right now she says she shows that she's going to be interest, interested in it more so than my son, but we shall see. She told me that, um, Katie and Taylor, two of my employees have been with me for a long time, that they will own it first. They will be her boss. And then when they decide to retire, she will take over. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so we so shall bad. see, but it's funny to hear them talk about it. <laughs> How old are they yeah. now? Louie just turned 10 and Brooklyn just turned seven. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so hard to believe. Well, she I wasn't know. even on the planet. I know. She was in my belly. <laughs> yep, she was in your belly. <laughs> yeah. My first genius exchange in boardroom. Well, I had, she was six, eight weeks old, I think, at the genius exchange. Right. Oh crazy. I know. Crazy. At least you made it, which is great. I know. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about your accessory line. What brought you to designing the accessories? What is your intent? What is your goal for that? Yeah. So um, one of the things as an interior designer and something that I would love to talk more about with designers who are wanting to grow their businesses, there's other ways of getting revenue for your business besides clients and design projects. Um, licensing is a big part of that. And um, I think that once you do have a name for yourself in the design world, it is an opportunity for a lot of a lot of designers to make um, add that revenue stream. And it's been something that I've been really interested in for a long time. We clearly started with Brooke and Lou because that was our way of instantly being able to design our own products and um, kind of get that out into the world. But it's really fun after knowing all the work it takes to do an e-commerce or a retail business um, to be able to move into licensing and partnerships with other vendors, they do all the work compared to when it's your own company. Um, so it's been really fun and it feels kind of like a breath of fresh air for us. Um, we partnered with the two home, um, gosh, it was in the beginning of COVID is when we started the, the relationship and started talking about our vision for the line. Um, Stacy, the owner is incredible and so much energy and has a lot of, we have very similar tastes and inspired by a lot of um, the same things. And so it's been a really fun project to work on together. Um, but when we started, I think we just wanted, I felt like there was a hole in the accessory industry of product that looked vintage, but was new. Um, there is this fine line, vintage vintage products are definitely on the rise, which I love that the interest in vintage is coming back. It's um, great for the environment. It's reusing these beautiful products. Honestly, it's hard to find high, good quality things in the world. And so when we have access to being able to buy some of those that are handmade and really you can see the the work and the love put into these pieces it's great um but sometimes you know in these new construction homes if you have too much vintage it doesn't it feels out of place and so i kind of wanted to bridge that gap from vintage to the new and how could we have products that were new and felt fresh enough but still had that like handmade vintage feel to it. And that's kind of where um, the collaboration with the two, a two home came up. Um, so our inspiration was kind of like a European summer kitchen. And um, we wanted pieces that felt fresh, but timeless. Um, I didn't go crazy on the color scheme. The color scheme is very, if you look at our branding, it's very in line with just everything we put out there. Um, a mixture of cool and warm tones and the pieces are 
almost perfect, but not they're hand glazed and you can tell that they're man-made and um, it just has that, it has that perfect bridge between the old and the new together. What are you looking at besides that particular line that you came out with at the last market? Are you looking at some other types of products? Yeah. I mean, we're always talking to people about licensing. It has to be the right fit. Um, we do have two other um, products with other brands in the works right now. Um, I don't know that I'm allowed to talk about them yet, but um, it is in more of like I could say wall decor and um, we are doing some really cool artwork with somebody. Um, and so just anytime I feel like a brand is really in line with who we are and more than just the style, but the quality, the price point and not price point as in it has to be really expensive, but I care more about a great value. So something that marries that quality, but isn't overpriced. Um, and so if they're checking all of those boxes, and honestly, if they're excited to work with us, I, I'm not a big person on pushing brands and, you know, pushing hard to get them to work with us. I am more of the, if they like us and they feel like we're a good fit, then that feels better to me um, than not saying begging, but, you know, just making sure that they're as excited about it as we are. So um, it takes a while. And these partnerships, I would say like, two years minimum to really get a product launch out there by the time you start with the inspiration and then creating the designing the products, getting the, the samples, and then actually getting the product built and um, on at market for people to see. So um, it's a long process, but it's a really fun process. So can you go into a little bit more detail about that? Because I don't think people necessarily know mm -hmm. what that might involve. So if you wanted to design a line, do mm -hmm. you approach the vendor first? Do you have a sketchbook? Do you what? What is it uh, that you do in what order? And also, yeah. what is your involvement in that process of bringing yeah. a new product out? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think there are multiple ways of getting a licensing deal. Like I was saying, I prefer when a brand, not that they have to reach out to us, but it's a brand that we've worked with, we already have a relationship with, and maybe it's a conversation that I start. A lot of these conversations start at market. I am a diehard market person. Um, I'm missing my first high point market in October for the first time and since I met you. Um, so I think that a lot happens at market when you're talking to those vendors and you're making those relationships, you're having FaceTime with them. Um, you have to, I personally think you have to show them that you can sell their product. So a lot of these partnerships that we go into are vendors that we do a lot of business with. So they know who we are and they know like, okay, these people can sell our stuff. They clearly have, they believe in our product. Um, and then I approach it of like, hey, have you ever thought about doing this instead? Or like, we're, we would love to sell your product, but we have to keep going to this person because they have a, this and you don't. Um, so a lot of those type of conversations where it's just more of like, almost trying to, how, how can we help them? You know, and not, it's not all about us, but um, we love working with you, but you know, we can't seem to find this and our clients are always asking for that. And um, so maybe we can design that together. Or if you want to hear more about like what I think is missing and this is something you guys could design, I know we could sell the heck out of it. Those are the relationships or the conversations that I have with those people um, that have led to these conversations um, and kind of led into, you know, actual fruition of developing these lines with them. Um, so obviously it starts with a conversation. It always helps if you have people to support you. Like we have a PR team who is very reputable. And actually the PR team that we hired is, um, represents some of the best brands that we work with. So that made it really easy because they're like, Hey, mutual clients, we can vouch for both of you. And then they manage the relationship. And that's been really awesome. Um, so once we kind of get into conversation, we normally are signing NDAs. Um, I normally create a vision board of inspiration, not actual products, because clearly if the product already exists, then you're just copying it. And that's not our goal. Um, but I'll I'll do inspiration photos. Maybe it's a interior designer's um, picture where it has like a vision or a vibe to it. Um, it could be a type of flower that 
makes me feel like the aesthetic or a color palette, or maybe it's a picture frame that I love that I want it to be on a piece of art or on a mirror, you know, along those lines of um, just having enough of a vision that they will get, understand where you're going, but um, not necessarily, I don't do sketches and all of that before we sign on with them. I don't think that, um, honestly, I don't think it's worth the time. And um, maybe for certain products, that's worth it, but um, it's a lot of time and energy. And a lot of your like designers, like that's personal and that's kind of what they pay you for to do so before they sign on with you i'm i'm pretty protective of that um but these vision boards have been really great and have worked with all the collaborations that we've started um of them really understanding oh they do have a unique perspective and that is it's in line but it's different than what we already have um so once we once we do that that's normally when we get the conversation started of like what does the partnership look like is it financially worth it to us is there any investment on our part that needs to happen um, and then we get a contract going. And once the contracts are signed, then we really start into the actual design and development where I will either sketch or put something in CAD, or like I said, it's taking a type of product and trying to come up with a design on a different product. You know, if it's a frame to a mirror or something like that, um, or a picture to a vase, you know, just some of those details that you can kind of show without necessarily replicating and just doing the same exact thing that you already see. Um, and we create a spreadsheet. And so we do an Excel document and it seems kind of basic, but they love it because it's really organized. So we'll put a picture, any kind of inspiration or vision behind it or the drawing on, in an Excel. And then we put, um, we'll name it for them because I think that also has to do with the brand and the vision. And we'll put a retail price point that we think is where it needs to be to sell. Um, which is really valuable to them because they can almost automatically, they'll go to their factories and say, can we make it for this? And then we know if it's a feasible product or not. Um, and we'll put dimensions. So um, from there, they take it to the factory, they do the pricing, they say, yes, no, we probably start with, say it's 20 items and it, we cut it in half. So, you know, there's a lot of product that we start with that we don't launch just because of feasibility of it. Um, and then we um, start getting the samples and we approve the samples and then we create a marketing plan with them on how we're going to market it. Mm, wow. That's a lot. So, <laughs> it is a lot. Yeah. Two years. Remember? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so it sounds like that's almost a, at least a halftime job in addition to everything else you're doing, right? It is, but because it's who we are, like as a designer, it, comes pretty naturally to me to think about the product and most of its product that I've been thinking about for a long time. So as long as you're an organized person of like, okay, I'm designing this vase. We know that our stems and our kitchens where we put this vase typically needs to be this size. What's another vase that we really like the dimensions of take those dimensions, put it on the spreadsheet. Like you don't have to it's not that you do it quickly, but you don't have to overthink it and like him and Han every single detail. Because a lot of times I say what's ideal, they say, okay, we can do that, but it actually needs to be this because of X, Y, Z, you know? And so there's some back and forth that way, but as long as you're, you have organized thoughts and you have great communication, then it doesn't have to take up all your time. Okay. So a couple of other questions, you kind of alluded to it, but is there an investment on your side with a brand if you're developing product? Yeah. So sometimes there is, sometimes there isn't. I think that that is very brand specific um, because we have a retail business. It is very easy for us to invest in the product because we clearly would be selling it on our website if I designed it anyways. Um, so that certainly makes it more enticing for them to know like off the bat, when we launch this product, we're going to get an order for, you know, a certain amount um, right away without having to do anything, you know, so sure. they it definitely makes it a little bit um, more enticing for them to be interested. Now, with that being said, we're doing collaborations that don't require it either. Um, but for us, because we can most of the I mean, it's just kind of like a given that we're going to order the product um, if sure. I'm designing it. Okay. And then with that, are you also um, getting some sort of a royalty on this? Is that typically mm -hmm. how they're doing it? And 
Yeah. What, what's a range or a percentage that people can expect? Yeah. So we kind of set a range of like, what, what is our minimum of what we would do um, to make it worth our time? And um, clearly we're not putting a maximum on that. <laughs> like we'll take not. as much as they want to give us. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. Um, but we definitely have a minimum threshold. And then we also, I am very careful about throwing numbers out there. I like to hear what they do first because why say a number and then it's lower than what they normally do. Of course, they would take you up on your low number. Um, so and sometimes we do collaborations where it's not all about the money, but it's we're working on one right now where both parties have kind of been like, um, this is not a collaboration we're doing because we think we're going to make a lot of money on it. It's because we think that we have very similar um, followers and we our brands are very similar and make a lot of sense together. And so we're more interested in gaining um like extending our reach and kind of using each other's um, followers to introduce each other. And so that collaboration is more of an exclusive, it's going to be a limited series. So when you, anytime you do a limited series, you know, that's, you're not going to make a ton of money on that because it ends versus most of our licensing partnerships. Um, the goal is for it to live on for a long time and you get royalties for the lifetime of that product. Um, as far as a range goes, I would say anywhere from six to 15% is probably fairly average. Um, and what a lot of the, the vendors um, have told us is, you know, where they, where they typically land. Mm-hmm. And is that with your name on it or is it uh, private labeled for the company? Um, all of our collaborations will have our brand with it. Okay. Um, it's not that we don't do private labeling. We do that a lot with Brook and Lou. Um, but I think that's a whole different, I don't need to design product and then have them white label it for me. I would rather, if I'm going to put my creative direction to it, then I want it to have our brand mm -hmm. on it. So well, let's go back to your a couple of questions. Uh, one is, what is your Instagram following now? How many people? Gosh, we're really close to 200,000. We're not there yet, but we're close. You know, Instagram's changed a lot over the last couple of years. When we first um, really started putting energy into Instagram, we were growing 1,000 to 1,500 followers a week. And that went on for a long time. And that's kind of where we got to the numbers that we were the last probably two years. And then Instagram changed their algorithm and they are majorly controlling who sees um, your posts and your stories. And a lot of it has to do with how much money you're spending with them. And um, it's been it's been interesting to know that like Instagram is not going to be the end all be all forever. And I think we all need to know that. Um there's always going to be something else coming and it's not that we're going to stop putting the energy into it, but we don't let it necessarily dictate our success. So we're, we've slowed down a lot where now we're maybe getting a thousand a month. Um, and you know, sometimes it's a thousand every two months. So, you know, that's changed and we haven't changed anything about what we're doing. So that just tells me that like, there's only so much you can control and putting the content out there that we know is attracting our ideal, ideal clients and our ideal customers. And is um, one of the things I love to do is connect with other designers and help other designers grow. I think that was one of the major reasons for hiring you guys was there. When I started, most designers, especially in this area, they didn't want to share. They, they thought that if they shared you were competition and they were threatened by that. And so I felt like I had nobody to go to, to ask questions of like, how do you handle this situation? How do you charge? I just text two of my friends who live in Illinois um, yesterday about charging sales tax on design services in Illinois specifically. And I could not do that in Minnesota when I launched my business, nobody would have shared that information. And these ladies are incredible. And right away told me exactly what I needed to hear and gave me all the information and why it was like that. And so um, on Instagram, if I can do that for other designers, um, and I also do the expert now where people, other designers can book me to um, pick my brain about anything to do with interior design business. And I am an open book. Um, so I use social media for that, not just to gain followers. And it's not all about how many followers did we get this month. We actually kind of stopped tracking it where we were 
in our in our weekly meetings with the team, we used to say we've gotten we got this many followers this week, and it started to feel like such a negative number that we stopped talking about it. We just start we would say, okay, we're at one hundred ninety eight thousand five hundred forty followers this week. We would say we only gained three hundred followers because for so long we were doing more, and I didn't want my marketing team to feel like they weren't doing something right. It's just Instagram changed and. It is what it is. So, you know, you have to like think big picture and um, just kind of think about how it affects you and what it's doing for your business. And if it's not working, where else can you go to to gain that traction? Mm -hmm. Well, you've also done some other things really well as as well. And of course, Instagram can't be hurting you because right. for one thing, that is a big following to take to a vendor and say, hey, yeah. I've got 200,000 uh, 200, people that are following me. So you've got a lot of loyal followers that'll buy your product. Right. Yes. And, you know, between both brands. So we have 72,000, I think, on Brook and Lou. And it is a different following. I can't tell you how many people follow Brook and Lou and we'll say finally someday will message us and be like, I had no idea you guys were part of Bria Hamill Interiors. And we're like, how? How did you not know that? You know, and vice versa, people that follow Bray Hamill Interiors and they're like, we had no idea that you guys were part of Brook and Lou. So it is definitely a different following. Um, and so really when you add your, even across your platforms, talk about all the numbers. You don't have to just talk about Instagram, but talk, if you have a great Facebook following, that's great. Probably a different audience than on Instagram. If you have Pinterest is one that I'm telling you, it's been around for a long time, but it's up and coming again. And we are getting a ton of traction. We're making money on Pinterest now. And, um, we, I am seeing more and more people when they fill out our intake form on our website who have say, who say they found us on Pinterest. So don't give up on some of those older platforms because they're constantly reworking who they are and what they're doing for us as well. So Pinterest is one that we've been really excited about more recently where they've just put in some really cool features for businesses where you can actually be profitable and create content for them and they pay you for it. And then a lot of clients are seeing us on there now too. Well, you also are a brand ambassador, aren't you? And and that's a paid type of activity. Yeah. Um, and that is something that I think that you could do without having a ton of following if you can just prove that you have a very loyal following. Um, and we we think outside of the box when it comes to brand ambassadors. Like we've been a brand ambassador for design manager for a couple of years now. And um a lot of designers have been like, I never would have thought about that, but for us, the accounting software is a very expensive software we use, and um, we can work deals with them, you know, where it doesn't have to be they pay us, but maybe they're not charging us for things. So just think about those relationships, too, of um, where you can save your money on overhead, which, again, affects your bottom line. So it's like you're getting paid. Um, but, you know, we can speak very wholeheartedly about how their system works and what it's done for our business. And we spend a lot of part of that partnership is us trying to help them create new things and make them better. And, you know, because of me being in boardroom for so many years and hearing about other platforms, um, I can tell them like, here's what people love about the other platforms and what you guys are missing and why, even though I say how great you guys are, they're not switching, you know? So trying to really help these brands out um, to be better is a is a major reason why they partner with us for brand ambassadorships. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what you're telling me is that the relationship piece is really a big driver for you and your business. I, I guess that's just who I am in general is I, um, I would say like I'm somewhat of an introvert. I'm not a very like, I don't think I'm super outgoing. I don't know. My husband's really outgoing. So maybe he makes me think I'm not outgoing because he's <laughs> so out there. Um, but he, I think that what really matters to me now is relationships. And so when I can bring that to work with me and I really care, I love just like business in general. So if I can help other people with their businesses, that's really exciting to me. Um, so when I can take that to the vendors and support them, and I love to ask our, our vendors like, who's your best area or who's your best 
um, client in this area, you know, and then I always tell my team, like, you guys, if someone's above us, like we have to beat them next year. Cause I'm just like really <laughs> driven about like doing the most sales for them and being, if I'm passionate about their brand, then I love to like be their number one, you know? So, um, that's an easy thing to bring to them too. Then if you are your, their number one customer to say, okay, like we know that we do the most volume for you, for you guys, how can we do more? Um, and how can we talk about you guys and how can we spread the word about how great, how great you guys are. So, um, it's just, it's very, I'm very passionate about that. Mm -hmm. Well, you're speaking their language. That's what they want to hear is it wants to help them grow and and wants to get them more money because that who wouldn't want that. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, you have to join our coaching team then. (laughs) I know someday I, it is definitely in my back pocket. I just want to make sure. Anything we do, you know, you want to make sure that you have the time because, you know, all of these things that I'm talking about, it's not like I do all these things every day. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like we work on a project and because of EOS and our rocks that we have, it allows me to kind of break it up into chunks and I have a focus and I spend a lot of time and energy on those projects at that time. And then they kind of take care of themselves for a while or I have team that can help um, continue it and, you know, sustain it so that I can move on to the next project. But you never want to do any of this, these things without knowing that you're going to do a great job for them. I mean, if you do it once and then it flops, they're never going to hire you again to do it. So just making sure that you have, um, you're passionate about it and that you have the time and energy to put into it's really important. Sure. I want to go back to talking about your PR firm. So it seems as if you've made a really good choice about who you're working with. And was the fact that this particular PR firm was working with a lot of the brands that you wanted to work with, was that part of the criteria for selecting them? Um, so I I don't think it was the reason why we picked them, but knowing that they worked with brands that we were very um, inspired by, and had been watching and felt like they were doing a great job with their business definitely was kind of the it's what sealed the deal for us you know like okay we know that this company that we adore and we love what they do and we're seeing them everywhere and they're a newer company and then we found out that this PR firm is the same PR firm that they had then like well clearly they are doing a good job for them because we've been seeing that so um I don't think it's why we picked them necessarily. We did meet them through a collaboration of a partner with working with one of the vendors. And um, that's how we got to know them. So that was maybe lucky for us that we were able to kind of see how they work as on the other side of it, Um, which is important to me when we hire, when we contract anyone out, there's still a major representation of my brand. To me, they have a Bria Hamill Interiors or Brook and Lou Signature you know, and I, it is really important to me that I feel like if I wanted them to, they could really just plug and play, be in our office and fit our core values. Um, so this company checked all those boxes for us and really has been, um, they have the same work ethic, the same morals. They understand that the world is changing and the markets are changing and business is changing and they're willing to ebb and flow of our craziness of we need to push really hard right now or, oh, gosh, things are slowing down. We need to back off, you know, and, um, you know, so it's just finding that brand, finding that company that was willing to work with us the way that we work was really important. Mm Okay. Okay. Well, there are a couple of other questions, and I'm going to save one fun one for the very end. These aren't all fun, but um, (laughs) what would you tell people that are trying to grow a successful business based on your experience looking back 10 years? What would you do differently? What would you definitely do again? I would say that the biggest thing I think, and it's hard to do, but I think if you really spent the time digging in and working with you, I know you can help people to do this is understanding what success means to you is because a lot of times, especially with social media and getting exposure in the world, um, you can let those people and those influences dictate success. For example, you aren't successful until you have 500,000 followers on Instagram, or now it's like you aren't successful until you have millions of followers on Instagram. Is that really what defines you? And like, what does that mean if you do have those followers? So 
to me, when I started, I kind of got sucked into that, like, well, as long as we are getting featured in the magazines and as long as we're growing our followers and as long as we're, you know, have our face on everything, then that means we're successful. But once I stood stood back, I'm like, that doesn't feel like success. To me, success is having employees that have been with me for a long time. To me, success is having my team tell me that we're the best place to work or that our clients say, I've never worked with a design firm like you guys before, where you are, you care so much about what you're doing and you're excited about it and you're comfortable to be around. And we, we don't feel like we have to be these people that we can just be who we are. Um, success to me now is, you know, what kind of projects are we working on? I tell every designer this, and I, I just did this today. You watch other designers post on social media, a new project they're working on. You're like, oh my gosh, if only I could get a project like that. And then I took a step back and I was looking at one of the projects that we're working at on. And I was like, if I saw this on somebody else's social media, I'd be like, if only I could get a project like that, you know? And you're like, what am I even talking about? We have those. It's just, it's so easy to get sucked up in like what everyone else is doing. So you really have to take time to take a step back and look at all of what you've accomplished and set goals of what you want to do. But I would say set goals on things that you can actually control, not things that are kind of outside your controls. And a lot of that has to do with publicity. Um, you can certainly submit every one of your projects to all the magazines, but do you have control that they pick it up? Not really. Do you have control that your client feels like you gave the best experience ever to them? You do have control over that. Mm -hmm. So just putting a focus more on the things you can control instead of the things you can't. Mm, love that. Well, I promised you a fun question at the end. Okay. <laughs> After knowing you for a few years. Yeah. <laughs> I just think back on one of the things that I just admire, and I can't imagine doing this myself, but it's you taking pictures of everything that you buy and putting together your outfits and having oh. pictures of these. I want you to share a little bit about that. I oh, think you're, cool you're really story. revealing all of it, Gail. <laughs> <laughs> You gotta pick something fun. Right? Okay. This is definitely my OCD in me, but also <laughs> like people always ask me, how do you do all of this at one time? And it's because I do crazy stuff like this. Yeah. So when I shop, I use Pinterest. I have private Pinterest boards. I have one called What's in My Closet. And I have one called um, Bria's Shopping List. And it's recently purchased and want to purchase. So a couple of things. I have that shopping list is my boards of when I see something on social media or on Pinterest or I'm online or even I'm in a store and I really like something, I quick find it online and I pin it to the board of what I want to buy. Because a lot of times I'm an impulse buyer and I buy things that I don't actually want. So I force myself to put it on those boards so that I can look at it. I'm like, do I really love that a week later? Yes. Okay. Then I'll order it. But then also um, I put recently purchased so that my team can see what I've been buying because we share a lot on social media of um, what I've bought on Amazon or we have what's called our Friday five of like things that we've purchased. Um, so it makes it easy for them to keep it authentic when they're posting on social media that it's stuff that I actually buy um, so they can pull it from that board. And then my closet board. I have a board, it's a private board, and it has every item that I own in my closet, a picture of it organized by the type of product. So if it's pants, it's shorts, purses, sunglasses, jewelry, jackets, I can't believe I'm talking about this right now. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, I have to take it one step farther and I make design boards for outfits. So I have like here's this top that I have and I would wear it with this pair of pants and these shoes and this jewelry. And I create a little like mock-up board and I screenshot it and I save it on Pinterest. And that is how I can travel every single week and pack in 15 minutes because I can just pull up those boards and say, okay, I'm going to high point. I know the weather is going to be this. So I'm going to pull this outfit, this outfit, this outfit, and this outfit, pack it, throw in the suitcase, and I'm done. And it's so OCD, but I do it for everything. Like I have a going out board or I have a panel board or I have one right now. The reason why I'm missing high point market is my best friend is turning 40 and she has a um, really crazy surprise trip planned for 
a very large, she doesn't want me to disclose how many people, she's not telling everyone how many people are going, but it's a large amount of people who are going and she's taking us on this trip. And she's told us the type of weather it's going to be, but not more than that. All we know is we need our passports. So I have boards for swimsuit with cover up with the sandals, with the beach hat. And then I have like my dinner outfits planned. And then another reason why I do it is I don't shop as much. Once I have my, my clothes and I'm like, okay, I have enough outfits. I have no excuse to go buy more stuff. So it really helps me budget too. <laughs> but, but if people like, if I die and someone gets into my Pinterest and is like, who is this girl? <laughs> and talk about having too much time on her hands, but it really does actually save me time in the long run. If I put a little effort into it in the beginning. Oh my gosh. I but now that. you know all my secrets. <laughs> well, I got that, but uh, yeah. that's, that's a fun one. Thank you for, yeah. <laughs> sorry to put you on the spot about it. But uh, it's fine. I'm an open yeah. book. It's fine. <laughs> all right. Well, well, we'll wrap up the podcast. And what I'd like to ask you is how can our listeners find out more about you? And yeah. um, certainly your accessory line, Brooke and Lou, just yeah. So I, I would say social media is definitely the quickest way to learn about all of our brands and how they're connected. Um, Bria Hamill Interiors is for our design business. And then at Brook and Lou is for our retail business. Um, and we talk all about all of the things that we're doing on a daily basis there. So that's probably the easiest. Our website's briahamillinteriors.com and brookandlou.com. You can see more of Bria's design work at briahamillinteriors.com. Or to keep up with all the latest happenings, follow her on Instagram at briahamillinteriors. The Bria Hamill and A2 Home is also now available in-store and online at brookandlou.com or a2home.com.